Yes, sir. It is All Eyes on Cleveland live. Uh, We are back for the second time live. Uh, Those of you listening on the podcast, thank you for tuning in as well. Uh, Tonight, uh, well, first of all, uh, you can uh, subscribe to the show at the bottom here. I'm getting used to this stuff with the uh, YouTube, so bear with me. Hit the like button uh, while you're here on your way out uh, and the little bell to notify you when we're on the air. Uh, So make sure you do that if you're uh, tuning in on YouTube, uh, Periscope, or Facebook Live. And then, of course, uh, where all popular podcasts are found. All Eyes on Cleveland is a podcast that interviews the top personalities in the Cleveland sports landscape discussing the pressing issues that face our Cleveland Browns. And tonight, I am thrilled to have back uh, for the second time on the show, first time here on All Eyes on Cleveland Live, the one and only Doug LaMaurice. Now, Doug is a sports columnist at Cleveland.com, host of Buckeye Talk podcast, and president of the Football Writers Association of America. How are we doing, Doug? Uh, I'm sorry you couldn't get one of the top personalities in Cleveland sports, but I'm happy to be here <laughs> instead. Yeah. Uh, no, that's uh, you're fantastic. I, you know, Doug, I see you all the time. I think I wrote this in the email. You know, I hear you asking questions at the Brown in the Browns, you know, media room or on the media uh, with Zoom, I guess it would be. Uh, and then I saw you. It was just you in your living room there after the Ohio State game, right on ABC. It was pretty funny. I thought that was awesome. But you do a fantastic job with the questions, better than any of those other chumps in there. So thank you. Good job on that. A lot of chumps. A lot of chumps lot in of, there. You got to clean it up sometimes. Everybody does a great job, but thank you. Yeah, no, you uh, by far the best, in my opinion. So uh, I wanted to ask you and congratulate you, first of all, because I think this has changed since the last time I talked to you. President of the FWAA, that's new, right? Congratulations. I'm the president this year. I'm the worst president in the history of the FWAA. I have single-handedly ruined (laughs) college football. It destroyed it in my term. So, yeah, not going so So, great. So that was my question. What does that entail? What does that job entail for you? <laughs> I've, I've been president since January, and I still don't exactly know what I'm supposed to do, which is probably a bad sign. Uh, okay, it's, just, it's the organization. If you're a college sports writer who covers college football, you join the organization, and if you have access issues, or we hand out awards and stuff like that. So, I don't know. I think I might have to give a speech at some point, but I am I am terrible at it. I hope the uh, I hope the organization survives my tenure. Uh, I'm sure they'll do fine, but that's awesome. It seems like quite an honor, so congrats to you there on that, Doug. Uh, that's uh, that's pretty cool. It's I not was, an honor. I was accidentally roped into it. There's no election or anything. They just say, uh, somebody want to be president? And I was like, I don't know, I guess. So thank sure, you, though. I'll do it. Thank you anyway. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, very cool. All right, so let's, uh, let's dig in here to some Brown stuff. We've got some tough questions to ask you tonight, as usual, you know. A lot of lots going on with the Browns, lots of... Lots of stuff up in the air. Very intense season uh, at six and three here with uh, some important six important games to go here down the stretch. Um, the uh, last two games they played, Doug, were uh, high winds, weather very difficult. Let me ask you this: I asked this to Nick Shook yesterday, and I want to ask you the same thing. The next time they build a Brown Stadium, should they build a retractable roof? In Cleveland, or are you for the open air? No, I hate open air. I haven't. I mean, no. I mean, I, I, right. I, 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 there's not a. I know there's a lot of people who have been talking about this 
uh, long before we have talked about it. But the idea of wanting snow, wanting wind, I mean, I, I get it, but it's okay to be comfortable. And I think the cities now I, I am not, I, I am not educated on this at all from a cost standpoint, from a taxpayer standpoint. And right, obviously that's a, that's a very important issue. So I'm not trying to spend people's money and I'm not going to act like the most important thing that the city of Cleveland can spend money on is putting a roof on a football stadium. But if Correct. you're just talking about the football standpoint and what it might do for the city, I mean, I do think it makes sense to have it. You can have it open air when it's nice, when it's horrible and snowy and super windy, you can close it. And I do think it opens up opportunities to have other events there. And we've seen it with enough other Midwestern cities. And that's the thing. I mean, I don't know if it's good enough for Indianapolis and it's good enough for Minneapolis and it's good enough for Detroit and it's good enough for Milwaukee. Why isn't it good enough for Cleveland? Why why does Cleveland have to hold out and be the only place where I don't know, is it a badge of honor to have football games yeah. ruined by weather? So I'm all yeah. for it. I would agree with you and it seems like it, you know, on the financial aspect and I know nothing about it either, but it seems like it would open yourself up to some other events that would help the city as well, you know, final fours, maybe a Super Bowl, I don't know. I think you could, I think you'd have a shot they haven't moved the Big Ten Championship football game around. They've had it in Indy. That's right. But I think I think it. they've talked about maybe moving it around a little bit. I think you maybe open yourself up for that. You could have a bowl game. You could have a yep. bowl game in Cleveland. I mean, this, oh, is, this is the home of football. That's part of it, too, is that this is the birthplace. This is the home. that What, what state cares more about football than Ohio? And like we don't as a state, we don't have the ability to host some things like that because yeah. there isn't a dome. There isn't a closed roof environment to play football in the entire state. So, I mean, I do think it would open some opportunities for sure. No question. I agree. And uh, who knows when that would be off in the distance? I have no idea. But it's something worth talking about with how windy and crazy these games have been the last two weeks. So in looking at that um, a little bit here, well, first of all, before we get into that, I want to ask you, uh, the last time you were on the show, we had a, a uh, comical conversation about Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt, and I suggested to you that they use Kareem Hunt more to save Nick Chubb and, and kind of, uh, uh, you know, drive maybe a little bit uh, or uh, his value down as he approaches his extension in the offseason. And we kind of laughed at that as as that was a you know a, a a good idea. Now Nick Chubb went ahead and did that for us and missed us some games, but it seems like his value just went up, right? I mean, so <laughs> I think it backfired. His value went up. Now Wyatt Teller was out at the same time. What do you? I mean, do you for you is it more Nick Chubb? Is it more Wyatt Teller? Is it both? Uh, where do you come out at, at the end of this? As now that Nick Chubb has returned, here comes back the run game. Him and Hunt both for 19 carries over 100 yards. Yeah, I think it's both, but I think it's a lot of Nick Chubb. And yes. and I think certainly the idea of a two-headed tailback and sharing the load and all that is not new in the NFL at all. But I wonder if the Browns might be the franchise that takes it to the next level here, that I actually think in this style of offense and two backs you have now in a world where many have argued that the running back position, its value and it's how much money you want to spend on it has decreased. It feels like to me investing 
a lot of money, and they have the, the the Kareem Hunt deal is a very manageable deal. But I think it's worth paying two backs because they make each other better. I don't. They don't take away from each other. They complement each other. There's enough work to go around. You're still getting value. And if the formula, I don't know why the formula for this team, the winning formula, would change from get a lead and then pound the ball in the second half and put a game away. And I think you saw Kareem Hunt wasn't as good as at that by himself because it's harder to do by yourself. So I don't know if, if Hunt had been hurt and it was only Chubb, I don't know how much different it would have been. I think it probably would have been a little bit better. I still, I think I like Nick Chubb a little more, but I think really the answer here is it's the two guys that they give a little bit of a different look. They keep each other fresh and then 19 carries each and each over a hundred yards. That feels like a formula to win. And it feels like a formula to me that you would be willing to pay for. So I agree with you. Nick Chubb's value went up in his absence, Yeah, but I'd pay him. Like, yeah. Whatever. Pay him. Yeah. Okay. So that was, I mean, that answers my next question. You know, extension time comes uh the the overall price for running backs has kind of come back down to earth after the girly deal right so you should be able to pay nick chubb i think within the frame of things he props up your quarterback certainly uh him and hunt for what two more years for sure i mean that's that's a that's a recipe i think for success in the future for sure um along uh, uh the lines of evaluating people and extensions here uh, Doug, let's talk about Baker Mayfield, um, and uh, there's a lot to talk about here. Uh, so he, you know, to, with the weather games mixed in there, the one before the bye, the one after, you kind of kind of got to throw those out the window, even though I kind of look at Doug like the Texans game, like he did what he was supposed to do, right? He didn't turn the ball over, and he completed that huge third and 18 to Higgins on the sidelines. They had him bracketed. He's you know, it was one of the biggest plays of the games, and he made that throw in the win, which, according to everybody that was there, was nearly impossible to throw in. So, uh, you know, I give him a an A, I guess, in what you can ask him to do in that sort of a game. Um, where are you with Baker right now, considering that that fifth-year, now-guaranteed option for 20-plus million dollars is hanging out there, and the Browns have to make a decision on it probably after six games. I feel like things are on track. I feel like we move the goal po- I don't want to make excuses for Baker, but okay. I also don't – I don't like when the conversation feels like it's heading towards, well, he's either got to be Patrick Mahomes or you got to get rid of him. Because I think okay. like there's a lot of room in between that as well. And so I think there's still time to have some patience. I think it feels like you can win with him. I think you have to give him more time with Kevin Stefanski. I am curious to see like off the bye when the weather chills out a little bit. Not chills out. I mean, gets more normal. And you can get a yeah. sense of what he can do. I think you made a good point, And we talked about it on our got to watch the tape podcast at cleveland.com the moments for baker that that higgins throw huge i i wrote after the game i thought he had a, a really nice throw to hooper when they were pinned deep on second down uh, just an yep. easy second and seven throw for an 11 yard gain but if you don't complete that 
Now it's third down. Now it's a passing down. Now are you forcing things? Now are you running and giving up and you're punting it back and you're not flipping field position? I just, the thing about Baker is like, well, if it's not him, then what? Now, I also think, I, have a, I mean, there's a million thoughts on this because you've seen teams sort of move on from a quarterback after his rookie contract, and you can find an answer. I mean, that we see what the Titans have done moving on from Marcus Mariota and finding Ryan Tannehill. There are answers like that out there, but it's not like you're going to draft Trevor Lawrence. You're not going right. to draft just like, what's your answer? So it's like, okay, he's not Patrick Mahomes, but what are you going to do? I think he can get better. I want to see him with more times for Stefanski, with Stefanski. I think they can win with him because of the other things they have in place. And so I believe his future is here, but I also sometimes, and we do it ourselves at cleveland.com. I mean, you can't avoid it, but it's like every game, it's like the Browns won. Are they going to keep Baker? The Browns won. Are they going to keep Baker? The Browns lost. Are they going to keep Baker? And it's like, is that we have to have the conversation literally every day, every yeah. day. This is the conversation. And I get it because their decision time is coming up, but also some of it is he's inconsistent. He's had a bunch of different coaches. They're winning. And like, we're kind of in still in wait and see mode a little bit. And I'm okay with that. Yeah, we are. Now, you know, for me, there's, like you said, there's a lot of layers to this. But for me, like the two layers, Doug, are like, okay, does it make sense to go forward with him as your starter? I think yes, right? I think it does. It, it, would, make, it would make any sense to make a change like this year, regardless of what I see really probably the last six games. But a more complex question that I think that they really have to ask themselves, though, if we're talking about Baker Mayfield's future is, can you win anything of significance with Baker Mayfield? Now, that for me is either a no or I don't know yet. It's not a yes. I, I'm not convinced on a yes yet. And I'm a guy that preaches patience for Baker, right? I want them to give him patience. But it, that question, can he lead you to a Super Bowl and win that for you, is the ultimate question. Because if he can't, at some point you have to make a change because that's the ultimate goal. And the the harder question of all of them is, how do you make that transition without taking setting your organization back. Like you mentioned Tennessee, they did it, but that's not easy to do. So, it's Loaded a hard question. Well, yeah. And it's and it, some of this stuff is like I I've been thinking about this stuff. I haven't written some of this stuff yet. I haven't completely come around to my full right. answer on some of these things. It's difficult in a league where you do have a lot of good quarterbacks. Yeah. And it's sort of like, I mean, part of me wants to say, well, so what? So what if he's not Patrick Mahomes or Russell Wilson or Aaron Rodgers or Tom Brady or Kyler <laughs> Murray? Or, and all of a sudden it's like, well, now you're saying, well, it's, oh, it's fine if he's not one of these 16 quarterbacks. Like, dude, you just went through half the league and you're saying it's mm -hmm. okay if he's not as good as them. There are a lot of really good quarterbacks. And it would be great if he was Kyler Murray, right? I mean, if he was Kyler Kyler Murray, I mean, like, we wouldn't be having this discussion. I don't know. that They're not having no. this discussion in Arizona. They're like, Definitely yes, not. yes, <laughs> we can win with him. And he's if the Browns had, had had the number one pick a year later or Kyler had, I mean, then Kyler Murray would be a Brown. That's the thing about this, too, is like they just took the best guy that they thought at number one, 
right? I mean, so no question. So I do think it's complicated, but part of the answer a little bit has to be what's next, right? What's the answer? If so, I, I don't think it's good enough to say he's not the answer because I'm like, well, then what is your answer? Right. So listen, the Bucks had Jameis Winston for the full five years, and then we're like, that's it. We're not doing yeah. this anymore. And then yeah. they got Tom Brady, and now they might go to the well, Super Bowl. Yeah. So yeah. if you're telling me, hey, we might not keep Baker after the fifth year, and then we think Aaron Rodgers is going to get sick of stuff in Green Bay, and Aaron Rodgers is going to come. Or the Seahawks are going to tear it down. And Russell, <laughs> will, okay, well, then let's sure. have that conversation. If that's not the conversation, and the only conversation is not Baker, then tell me what it is. Because right. I don't want to hear that it's Kirk Cousins, or I don't want to hear that it's Jimmy Garoppolo, or I don't, you know what I mean? Like, I don't want to, I don't want some mediocre answer. So yeah, that's, that's, po- all that's it pointless. Is, that's pointless. Then, because if you're trading out Baker for Garoppolo or another average quarterback, what's the point, right? To me, those guys are the same guy, basically. And I don't believe that Baker is definitely only average. Right. He's never going to be Patrick Mahomes. But I think he can be good. I think he can be better than he has been. I think, and that's part of it too. And it's hard to remind people people are in love with Joe Burrow and Justin Herbert and Tua Tonga Bailoa right now. Justifiably so. Just like it was justifiable in 2018 when people were in love with Baker Mayfield. Sometimes it's easier to look really good before they get a read on you. And so I don't know what people are going to think of Justin Herbert in two years, but I also think there's a lot of quarterback envy that goes on in this league and it goes on among fan bases and you get locked in on your quarterback. And sometimes you forget that lots of quarterbacks have bad weeks or bad months or bad seasons. But not everybody has Patrick Mahomes. So that's a, it's a very complicated answer. My short, my short answer is, I think he still can be good. There's no reason to give up on him now. Have more patience. I don't think you have to jump, right? You got a little time here on decisions, and I would let it play out more. And I do think the underlying thing is, I want more time with Baker Mayfield to be with Kevin Stefanski and Alex Van Pelt. And I want to see how high they can help him raise his game. Yeah, I mean, that makes perfect sense. Ultimately, you want to see him with the coach. You want to see if they can progress together and what that what's what's the what's the ceiling for them. Right. We want to see that. Um, So uh, very good stuff. You're listening to All Eyes on Cleveland. Special guest tonight, Doug Maurice of Cleveland.com, host of Buckeye Talk Pod and the president of the FWAA joining us here. Uh, on the show tonight, talking Browns. We're going to shift sides of the ball over to the defense here. The defense, um, Doug, did not uh, or forced one punt in two weeks <laughs> before uh, this last game against the Texans. Came out, they did some different things, right? They uh, Red Wine gets 17 snaps. If you remember at the beginning of the season, Joe Woods talked a lot about wanting to incorporate his three-safety dime package defense in, and then Grant Delpit got hurt, and we never heard anything else about it, and they didn't show it at all. All of a sudden, after the bye week, they ran it probably six, seven times on third downs 
where they had red wine, Sandejo, and Harrison up near the line of scrimmage in that kind of viper role, right, that hybrid role, uh, linebacker safety. And it was effective. He was able to get to the quarterback a couple times. He was able to, you know, pick up tight ends and coverage much better than a linebacker would. And they got off the field a lot against the Texans. Of course, the weather was terrible, um, and, and there's all of those factors involved. Where are you at with the defense? Are, are you coming away from that game like, wow, they really looked better. I feel good about it because I kind of do despite the weather. Or was it just the weather? Like, hey, you can't throw in that, and Deshaun Watson was completely taken away. Is it one or the other, a little of both? Where are you at with that? Can I say like 96.5% weather? I, I don't want to <laughs> really. I don't, I don't want to get over enthusiastic about it because clearly, I mean, and, and I was on the, the post game call with the Texans players, and it happened to Baker too. But Deshaun Watson just talked about, hey, I threw it to Will Fuller and it was going right to him, and then it went sideways. So yeah. it's like, what, what are you going to do? But I think the point that you are making is an important one. I was really curious. And again, it's just hard. We've treaded water for three weeks now because it was a weird game then a bye then another weird game and you're just like you're just trying to get Very. your head i mean it's great that they're six and three and the playoff race is awesome but you're trying to get a handle on this team a little bit it's hard i do think there is hope because there is there are changes so i thought the idea hey i want i want to see both offensively what kevin stefanski does with the bye week and defensively what joe woods what does with the bye week but i also think <laughs> it's encouraging listen, ronnie harrison wasn't playing that much early on and carl joseph was playing a lot now, Carl Joseph is not playing very much, and Ronnie Harrison's in there. Good. Anderson Dejo's playing a ton. Okay, I don't know if he's coming off the field or not, but the three-safety look, maybe Sheldrick Redwine is in in a two-safety look instead of Sandejo sometimes. Maybe it's a three-safety look they can go to. I feel like they're still game-to-game figuring out some of the linebacker snaps a little bit because you have a, top, a couple guys maybe who you trust against the run. You have a couple guys maybe you trust against the pass. I do. It's not going to be good on the back seven this year. Right. But I, I think it can be better. I think it can continue to improve, not because the guys are getting any better, but because I do think you can still change the personnel a little bit, change, you know, who's in situationally. And I think Scheme you're seeing Joe with, so I don't like the, the, it's mostly wind, but the fact that they did adjust <laughs> some of the, some of the personnel issues, and some yeah. of the scheme ideas, that I think is encouraging, but I don't want anyone to get too excited about like, hey, we held Deshaun Watson to seven points. It's like, yeah, that was yeah. Mother Nature. Sorry. Okay. All right. That's fair. I think that's fair. I was encouraged just to see them change anything. Obviously, it wasn't all the changes I want to see. Uh, you know, Like you said, they did also let Redwine get some snaps with just the two safeties, and Sandejo came off the field for the first time all season. I think he's played every defensive snap all year until that game, which is ridiculous, right? Because he's totally reactionary. Even the touchdown they scored, I don't know what he was doing there, but he has a really hard time, like, like looking for work, right, in the zone. Like, he just doesn't look for work. Like, he totally lets it, sits back and let everything happen in front of him. And it drives me crazy, and I, it's really hard to watch. And, and I don't think that he was ever intended to play this role and how he got into this role where now we're playing Sandejo at safety every single down is uh, it's it's hard to to grasp that that is the answer back there you mentioned the linebackers uh Doug the linebackers they aren't good uh they're struggling uh Malcolm Smith has been pretty good in coverage and played better 
B.J. Goodson is average, right? He plays a lot of downs. Now, they're young guys, though. So, Taki Taki, uh, Wilson, and uh, Phillips. You see a future for any of them with the Browns? Phillips is the one that I think is most interesting because right. he, we haven't seen that much of him yet. He's the one who's yeah. the rookie. He's He's been battling injuries. He feels like the guy that you have the best chance of, hey, by week 12, there's a guy getting a bunch of snaps that wasn't getting many snaps in weeks 1 through 11. That kind of thing. So I think it's hard because you're sort of holding out hope on Jacob Phillips. I do think maybe he can be more of that guy. Some of the other stuff, I don't know, Taki Taki seems okay in some parts of the game. Wilson seems okay in some parts of the game. I don't know that they're ever going to invest a ton of money with the way this front office works at that that position. So it's not, you know, they're not going to, I don't think they're going to spend $15 million for a linebacker next year, but they've got to no. hit on some of these picks. I mean, it's, you know, you've got to build the middle of your roster from the middle round to the draft. So if you go talky talky third rounder, Mac Wilson fifth rounder, the next year Jacob Phillips third rounder, you better get a player out of that. I mean, they got they didn't want to pay Joe Schobert in the end, but Joe Schobert as a third rounder, right? Third, fourth, third, right? Very yeah. productive mm -hmm. career for a very reasonable price. You've got to have at least one of these guys hit. And I don't I don't know which one it might be. I would have the most face faith in Phillips at the moment because we've seen him the least. And I think we're maybe getting to the point with Taki Taki and Wilson where we're seeing enough to think like oh, they're they're okay, but are they ever going to be more than that? Probably not. Yeah, that's kind of where I'm at with them. And you know, the one question about Wilson is is he fully healthy, I guess? Some people kind of throw that health issue out there. I don't know. Um I was intrigued by him more last year than I am this year. And then Phillips is very intriguing for me just because of his speed and ability to tackle. I feel like he could be a part of the future of it. I agree with you completely. Taki Taki is okay against the run, but he can't guard a door in coverage. I mean, it's just, you know, so I don't really know where they go with the future of the linebacker position as it's getting treated like running back on offense for most teams. Like you feel like it feels like teams feel like they can have a good defense with a couple linebackers that can run. Right. I mean, no, I think, I think you're right. And I do think, and I've said this a few times now, I think some of this stuff on the defensive side of the ball in the back seven, the starter next year is going to be random veteran free agent X that Andrew Barry signs to a one or two year deal. And, yep. and lots of praise for Andrew Barry so far, but his hit rate on random veteran starters on this defensive side of the ball signed this offseason. Sandejo, Carl Joseph, B.J. Goodson, Malcolm Smith is kind of like a late grab desperation yep. out of nowhere. It's like, well, not great. Not, not great. great. So maybe they can just get somebody at middle linebacker who's like B.J. Goodson, but slightly more dynamic and a little faster than B.J. Goodson. Those guys are out there. You've just got to find the right one. And it felt like now they just had him as a free agent, but a fifth-round pick for Ronnie Harrison, that was the right one. Yep. So go get another Ronnie Harrison. And you don't – I mean, you're not going to go – you're not going to hit 85% of these signings. But I thought – I mean, there are a couple misses there from Barry, yeah. frankly. There are a couple misses. The Delpit injury obviously hurts, but it's also why I was fine with trading a third-round pick for a linebacker or a safety at the deadline – because maybe you can replicate some of the Ronnie Harrison stuff. And I think it would have made a difference in the second half of this season because you tried it in the off season 
And I think you, I think you whiffed on a few again, which is yeah. not the end of the world, but let's not pretend that they aren't misses. I mean, really, I mean, come on, BJ Goodson, really the yeah. way that, and the way they're using these guys and might be injury related. BJ Goodson is doing things on a regular basis and being asked to do things on a regular basis. He's kind of never been asked to do before and he's not, right. so, not so good at it. No, he's not. He's not. Uh, he's being asked to do a lot, actually. Uh, I don't think he left the field again the other day, you know. Uh, so I, I don't know. It, it's tough. Um, I agree with you. Some misses there on those one-year darts we kind of talked about on the defense that he, you know, threw at the defense is kind of like get us through this year and maybe we can address it more long-term next year. If you looked at the draft next year, not going to ask you to bring up any players or anything, but and you had a priority position like way too early. Who would you? What position would you target with your first round draft pick next year? Maybe I will give you a name because <laughs> I've been thinking about this, and I don't okay. know if it's right, and I don't know what's going to happen with Odell. I'm not going to pretend I know exactly what's going to happen with that, but I think the idea of a guy who can take the top off the of defense a little bit is important for this my team. next question i'm not sure you need to spend 15 or 17 or 18 or 20 million dollars on it so jalen waddle is a guy at alabama who is maybe one of the best maybe he's not jamar jamar chase opted out but like is really quite a dude yeah. and he broke his ankle so the idea that jalen waddle from alabama might have been a top 10 pick and he broke his ankle and he might be there for the Browns at 19 or 23 or whatever. I've just had it in my head. So I think that could be again, cause you're talking about impact on the roster. I mean, just what they think, do you want to spend a first round pick on a linebacker? I mean, yeah, they need a linebacker. Do you want to spend a first round pick on it? No, I, I don't think you can. You know, I don't think you can. You want to take a, sa- uh, they just took Delpit in the second round. You take a safety in the first round. Who changes stuff? I think there's some receivers out there that if you keep Jarvis, Jarvis is this guy, you know, you work the third receiver, you invest in the tight end, you invest in the running backs. I think a speed receiver who can threaten the defense would possibly be a very good pick where they're going to pick in the first round. I I agree with you. I I actually, I think that would actually be a very good pick. My next question is about uh, keeping the defense honest here and replacing Odell Beckham Jr. I had in my head and have had in my head the whole time, Doug, that they need a long-term solution opposite Miles Garrett. So, like, you've got to address that on that front for, because for me, Olivier Vernon hasn't lived up to whatever he was supposed to be. And beyond that, Claiborne isn't a long-term solution. He's a rotation guy, et cetera, et cetera. You need a young stud opposite him to really, I mean, that's the, the two most valuable positions on the field right now, basically in the NFL are quarterback and guys that can get to the quarterback. So I, I'm like, eh, I, that makes sense to me to, to maybe go defensive end. Obviously, this all depends on who's there in the first round, whatever, right? Value and stuff. But I think that speed receiver makes a lot of sense. I think that defensive end makes a lot of sense. I don't think you can address safety and linebacker in the first round. I I would expect to see Harrison Delpit as your starting safety duo next year, wouldn't you? No, I think think you're right. And and listen— I understand that this is how this works in the NFL and every, every NFL roster has guys who get hurt 
and has guys who are making a lot of money who aren't really yeah. helping you that much. But I almost think that is a good sign for the Browns that Odell's taken up a lot of money and he does help them. He had helped them, but honestly, the production, he wasn't doing Stefan no. Diggs stuff or Deandre Hopkins stuff that we've seen veteran receivers do when they change teams. That's not all on him. It's partly on the Browns, but value for him value, right? Not through the roof. And now he's no. hurt. Olivier Vernon, ton of money value on him. Not great. Grant Delpit, second rounder, out. Grant Delpit was taken one spot ahead of Antoine Winfield, who might be the defensive rookie of the year. If if Grant Delpit was doing the things for the Browns that Antoine Winfield was doing for the Bucks, people would be going nuts. And he might have been doing that if he was healthy. Greedy yeah. Williams, second round pick, nothing. Zero. So as they are good. They are a good team. They have multiple good players. And you can see it's not like they're batting a thousand percent on their on their high draft picks. They're not batting a thousand percent on their big money players. Yes, they have some young guys they're going to have to sign, but you can you can see how okay. Well, if you're not paying Vernon, you can do this. You can see well if you hit on a second rounder. They've had some bad luck. They've had some big time decisions that haven't worked out, and they're still six and three. Yeah. This is not every single thing working out perfectly six and three. Which, which leads you to believe, man, there's there's actually some room for growth here because they're going to have sort of the draft opportunity and some cap space to get even better at some spots. No, you're absolutely right. Uh, who knows what to make of Greedy, and I don't even know what, you know. I don't think you can, I don't think you can depend on any of that stuff at this point. Uh, now, the, the one difference that Odell Beckham Jr. makes, you bring up, obviously, is he ke- he kept defenses honest. You know, he, he forced them to play too deep. He, you know, we saw the Texans running that, you know, extra safety in the box. And that's what the Browns are going to get the rest of the year until they prove that they can take the top off. And they only need to, like, attempt it, like, twice a game just to keep people honest. But who do you, who do, you do that with? Like, uh, to me, it's Donovan Peoples-Jones, but... After he gets a game-winning catch, Doug, he plays zero snaps in or three snaps in the Vegas game. I that what I, I don't I don't get that at all. I, I know that was a windy day too, but you know, and there was supposedly a Taewon Taylor package that they were going to run in that game. Wherever that comes from, and uh, I know he's fast, but you know, not really high on Taewon Taylor personally. Uh, and uh, they took that out because of the win, too. So what do you do to threaten this defense? And then I got a statistic for you when you're done answering that question. Yeah, I'm not a real believer in Peoples-Jones at the moment. I thought, I mean, the kick return, really? the kick return muff drop. <laughs> that was bad. That, that almost lost him the game. It, I mean, it I, I get it. It was windy. I, I don't trust him right now. Okay. And, and I get it. He's a sixth-round rookie. Yeah. On, a, on a team that's trying to make the playoffs. So, you know, you probably shouldn't be relying on sixth-round rookies. But, right. you know, I think I'm not – the guy made the game-winning catch against the Bengals that helped save the season. I, I've said it on our podcast. I think he kind of caught it by accident. I mean, I didn't necessarily <laughs> think – I mean, honestly. I mean, it, like, went right over the defensive back's hands and he put his arms out. I, I don't think he's the guy. And I think what you're talking about with he doesn't play, I don't think they think he's the guy. So okay. I don't think there is a guy. Kadero Hodge is a better blocker than he is a receiver, and he's done a good job on some of that stuff. But I think the only thing that maybe you can count on is that 
some weird reverse kind of logic. And this sounds like Homer stuff. I don't think it actually is going to come true. But it's okay. like when you have Odell, they have to keep more help back there because they're afraid of Odell. So it actually makes it harder for the Browns with Baker to hit those plays because the teams are worried about them. Now, while they're okay. worried about those plays, it takes a guy out of the box and it makes it easier to run. But if they don't respect you at all, and there's no reason they should, they do not fear your deep passing game. They'll put an extra guy in the box. And so maybe random dude X can get open one-on-one -on -one down the field. And I don't know who it is. Maybe it's Jarvis. Maybe it's Higgins. Maybe it's People's Jones. Maybe it's Hodge. Maybe it's Taylor. I don't know. Maybe it's Harrison Bryant running 60 yards down the field. Right. But because they don't think you can do it, maybe when you do it, it's actually slightly easier to complete it. You know, it's like a backwards logic. We're so bad at it that nobody respects it, which makes us better at it. That's not an actual way that football works. But that's one of the things I'm very curious to see because, as you said, the Texans did it, but it's also the wind, right? So yeah. we, we yeah. haven't really seen – we haven't really seen a ton, right, of what – we haven't seen a whole game of this is what it looks like in normal weather. How does a defense play them? Do they take Without the Odell. shots? So we don't know yet. That's one of the yep. things we want to learn if the weather would finally cooperate. Yeah. We'll find that. I think we'll find that out. It seems like the weather report is going to be somewhat uh, decent uh, on Sunday, I hope. At one point, it looked like it was going to be windy again. Uh, I think today said it was like not going to be anything crazy. Uh, Baker throws a decent ball in the wind, you know, as long as it's not 50 miles per hour winds like it was last week. Uh, so here's my stat, right? Deep middle stats, okay? So bear with me here. According to Next Gen Stats, Mayfield was well above average when throwing the uh, ball to the deep middle with a passer rating of 106.3 last season, okay? In Stefanski's offense, which is we know is play-action heavy, roll-out heavy, um, he is uh, not challenging the middle of the field, the deep middle of the field at all. Sharp-focused stats say the Browns have only thrown seven passes all season to the deep middle of the field. Why? What? Wh what is that? No, knowing your strengths and knowing your weaknesses, I guess. I uh, mean, he, uh, but he throws well to the deep middle, doesn't he? I mean, I've always thought he threw a good seam, a ball up the seam. Yeah, that's an interesting stat. And, and again, um, that, that might have been teams trying to take that away with, with Odell a little bit. And so now maybe that, maybe that will open up a little bit. I do think there is this, Great push and pull with every quarterback. And I'm pro-interception, which no coach in the history of the world is. I'm always trying to ask coaches, like, aren't you okay with interceptions? I don't know. Sometimes you throw an interception, what are you going to do? You risk it. Yeah. It's worth the – you get the big play bonus out of it. You can't – Yeah. you know, sometimes it's like, well, don't throw an interception. It's like, okay, well, then you're never going to have a big play. So yeah. I, I'm okay with some of this stuff. I'm not okay with, like, throwing it straight to Minka Fitzpatrick for a pick six in the first play of the game. Yeah, but, right. Yeah. But not all interceptions are created equally. So I'm okay with some of these shots. I do think some of it might be that they're so good running the ball that they don't need to like loosen up the defense to be able to run it because Wyatt Teller is still going to wipe you out. You want nine guys in the box? You want 10 guys in the box? Fine. Wyatt Teller is still going to block you. And then Nick Chubb's going to run over somebody else. So yep. we don't care. Have 10 in the box. So, so why worry about it? 
right? I mean, it's kind of it's kind of working. So, but I do. But again, this offense is not at its top end yet because they're still working. Which is why, which is goes back around to the other thing of like, let's not be in a hurry to give up on Baker Mayfield because Kevin Stefanski and Baker Mayfield are still working this out. As much talent as they do have. And when you really think about it, this offense, seriously, this offense, the talent on this offense, uh, for yeah. real, is compared to the past 20 years of the Browns. And go ahead and play the game. Go around the NFL and start looking at teams. Yeah. Browns, the Browns stack up really well. And I'm talking offensive line talent and receiver talent and running back talent. They stack no up question. really well. But they're not perfect yet. They don't exactly know how to meld everything yet. And you're making great points about the deep middle. So I think it's it's a reminder that as they are in a playoff chase, they remain a work in progress for a first year head coach. I agree, and uh, you know that's that's an area where I question. I had Jake Burns on the on the show. He did a really oh, God. nice piece at the OBR. Why and, would and, you have me on after Jake? You've just invalidated everything that I no. said. Nobody cares what I think. Once you hear Jake, Jake it, has it a perfect like, answer for deep middle. I'm just making this stuff up. Jake's a quarterback. Oh, great. I, did, I didn't even have that statistic when he was on. Don't worry. It was a couple weeks ago. But he brought up the the fact, along with the deep middle, that they are not using the screen game at all. And, and he did a, a nice piece at the OBR on it, you know, with the video and everything. But So they're not using the screen game, which they were really successful with in Minnesota. It appears that they're not throwing to the deep middle at all seven passes all season. That's just kind of strange stuff. Made me wonder a little bit about. But areas that you would think, especially the deep middle one, where, okay, we need to keep a, a team honest so they're not single high safety every single down, walking the guy up into the box. That would be a way you can do it. And you could do it with a tight end, too. You don't need the speed guy there. That's where the tight end can can kill you and make you have to respect them, earn that too high safety look. Um, just a thought. No, I mean, I think, I mean, and Joku could probably do a little bit of that, right? I mean, yes. like you said, there's some yeah. options there. And I would say... My answer might be that part of this is pandemic related. I mean, we've talked, a lot of people talk, you know, coming into the season that teams with continuity would have an edge. And yes. I don't know, I don't know how, how deep we are into the Kevin Stefanski playbook. And I would say maybe some of this stuff. Now the screen game is not it. Cause that's, that I mean, the screen game isn't hard to do, but some of this stuff, I, I would say part of this is some indication that, that Kevin Stefanski doesn't trust Baker Mayfield to even attempt those kind of throws right now in this offense. And then again, that's a thing that you can work on for later. But if you're only throwing deep middle seven times in nine games, that would be some kind of indication of lack of trust there. I would imagine. Yeah. That, that's a good point that I didn't even, didn't even cross my mind. Actually. That, that's a really good point. Uh, maybe he doesn't trust him to throw it there. It's just odd that he did so well there before. And then, you know, but whatever, I, you know, the two different offenses, certainly, if you can even call what Freddie Kitchens did in offense. Uh, all right. So uh, for you, Doug, how close are the Browns in reality? So I said this on my show, like, okay, the Browns played Pittsburgh. They played Baltimore. They got their doors blown off, right? In reality, though, I think they're somewhere closer to those teams just circumstance a the Ravens game week one of this weird season and then 
the Steelers game, you throw a pick on your first pass, and it just, it's like they see those jerseys and they just crumble, right? Uh, so I, I don't know, but is watching Baltimore and watching Pittsburgh even undefeated, I'm not that impressed. Maybe you tell me I'm wrong. I think they're closer to those teams than maybe some people believe. So, and again, on, on, I learn a lot on our Gotta Watch the Tape podcast that we do twice a week on Tuesdays and Fridays with Scott Patsko and Ellis Williams because they break stuff down with films and film and numbers and stuff like that. And the point that they have made a lot is, okay. and I think everybody sees it, is kind of the, both the Baltimore and Pittsburgh game, it really wasn't the Kevin Stefanski offensive game plan. That right. they kind of got forced out of the sort of play action, run the ball kind of stuff. And it's like, what happened there? Is it something about the Pittsburgh and Baltimore defenses that going in, you thought you couldn't do that, which is what you want to do? Or was it the way the games unfolded that you kind of got behind real quickly and all of a sudden you couldn't you couldn't stick to the game plan? So I think to some degree, I've thrown out those games, which is not an excuse, but it's like, I'm not sure that it makes a lot of sense to just to, to build your analysis around it because I think you might be right because I don't know that we saw the real Browns in either of those. Now, maybe that's credit to the Steelers and the Ravens for like not letting the Browns be the Browns. That very well could be the case, but this Monday night game against Baltimore, I'm disappointed. I don't even know why they do it. I mean, I guess I know why they do it, but the Browns and the Steelers end the season against each other so much. And like, more often than not, it, it makes the game irrelevant. It doesn't make it super important. So Agreed. I don't know what week 17, listen, if the Steelers are 15 and 0, then we can talk about whether that game's important or not, if the Browns can keep them from going undefeated. But yeah, I don't know that we'll get a real look in the second Steelers game. You're going to get a real second look at the Ravens. So yeah. I think it is the most fascinating game out there. Again, if you go to Ravens fans right now, they'll tell you all the problems they have with Lamar and this offense and why it's not looking as good as last year. And is that, you know, so again, let's not pretend that other teams don't have problems. For but sure. I'm, I'm curious. I think you might be right, but I want to see the Kevin Stefanski offense. Can you get a lead or at least stay in the game, work the play action, work the rollouts, throw to the tight end, and then pound these two running backs and try to control a game? I'll yeah. be very curious if they can try to do that against Baltimore because you, Brad, might be exactly right that the gap that we thought was there based on week one may not nearly be as large as we think. Yeah, I mean, two different, very different football teams meeting here, you know, in a couple of weeks on Monday night, I think, than what we saw in week one. Um, certainly. Tennessee Titans is another test, right? Uh, now, they have kind of come back to earth a little bit. Their defense is really suspect. But there's another test, too. Do you feel like they got to win one of these games, the Baltimore game, the Tennessee game, the Pittsburgh game? Or do you think, like, I heard Sal Pal today, right? Sal Palantonio, Philly guy, talking about the Browns. I think it was on, uh, you know, Zagura and Bishop on uh, Browns Daily. They were talking, and uh, he says it's going to take the Browns 11 wins to get in the playoffs. And I was kind of like, what? I know there's six teams at six and three, which is crazy. But a lot of that will take care of itself if you look at the schedule. A lot of these teams play each other. Uh, I think 10 wins can get you in. Obviously, if the Browns just beat the teams they're supposed to, that would get them 10 wins. Do you feel like they got to get one against Tennessee, Baltimore, or Pittsburgh? No, I think I agree with you. I mean, I think they, it's more important they take care of business 
you've got to get the obvious one. So you've got to get Jags, Giants, Jets, Eagles, and and that gets you to 10. And then it would be to steal one. That's, I mean, I picked 10 and 6 before the year. 11-5 is not off the table at all. I don't think it's necessary because this happens all the time, and I do so much college football with the college football playoff. You start doing stuff, and you start assuming, well, if everybody wins every game, they should yeah. win. Yeah. And so when you're doing it with your own team, you sort of have to do that. Because it's like, okay, well, what's going to happen if the Browns lose to the Giants and the Jaguars? And it's like, well, they're not going to make the playoffs. What are you talking yeah. about? So if you're talking about the Browns, you sort of have to assume that they win all the games they're supposed to win or they're out and it's not worth the discussion. But that doesn't mean that you assume that the Raiders and the Dolphins and the Titans and the Colts and everybody else, because the, the, you know, the Raiders have some bad teams left. The Dolphins have some bad teams left. Somebody's going to lose to somebody they're not supposed to lose to, right? Yeah, so no question. I think we can get ahead of ourselves – uh, with some of the the analysis of, well, you know, I mean, really, eleven wins. They're going to have seven. They have an extra playoff spot this year, and this is the year and you're going to need eleven wins. You need eleven, ten, and you're out. And I get it, ten and a tiebreaker. And if it's against the Raiders, you lose a tiebreaker. I get it, I get it. But somebody's going to get. It's the NFL, man. I mean, parents yep. build in. There's someone's going to get tripped up somewhere, and the Browns just have to make sure it's not them. Interesting stuff. Uh, the first time ever, I'm sure you, you may already know this sat, but uh, the first time since the AFC and NFC split that six teams have been six and three at one time. It's, I mean, it's fascinating when you look in the, in, in the entire NFL. I think there are four teams that have zero, one, or two losses. There's that top, right. that top pack. There's 11 total teams with three losses, and there is not a single team that has four losses right now. There is such a dividing line. And it's like, oh, I know people were – the Patriots beat the Ravens, and the Patriots are four and five. And yep. people are like, what would the Patriots have to do to get in the playoffs? And it's like, I don't know, make up two games on six teams ahead of them in the AFC. It is really weird. It's a great year to have the seventh spot. That does change the calculus for everybody, including the Browns. Very helpful. But I, I just, just take care of your business. But I do think – if I had to sit here right now, I think it is more likely the Browns go eleven and five than it is they go nine and seven. If ten and six, if ten and six looks obvious, because mm -hmm. e Eagles, Jags, Giants, Jets get you to ten, and then the other three games are the Steelers, the Ravens, and the Titans. Is it more likely that they win one of those three, or is it more likely that they go zero and three in those games and also lose one of the bottom four? I think it's much more likely they go 4-0 against the bottom four and win one of those three against Baltimore, Pittsburgh, and Tennessee, which gets you to 11. So I've been on 10-6, and six, but but you this Eagles game is huge. This yeah. Eagles game is huge because – and by the way, Jake Luton, man, I'm in on Jake Luton in Jacksonville. Jake Luton is playing hey. for the Jaguars to not be able to draft Justin Fields and take his yep. job. So Jake Luton is very motivated. But and Daniel Jones, baby, Daniel Jones is playing. So the Giants He's playing. Don't have, so they, you know, those teams have a little life. But if we're talking about the Browns, if you can't beat the Jags and the Giants and the Jets, then you're not a playoff team. So then sorry. So we're looking at the whole world through a Browns lens. And that yep. lens should be take care of business against the four teams that you should beat, and then assume that some of the teams you're competing with for a playoff spot 
do not take care of business in the same exact way. That's what I think will happen, which is why I think 10 and six gets them in, but I think 11 and five is possible for them. Very interesting. Very good stuff. Uh, you're listening to All Eyes on Cleveland with special guest Doug Lay Maurice. Uh, Doing a fantastic job, as always, breaking things down. So, you know, you mentioned the Eagles game, and, and these games are all basically playoff games here on out for the Browns, right? They This experience should be very good for the young football team just to have to play these six games where everything's on the line every week. I think it's very valuable just to be where they are at this point. Um, Wentz. 12 touchdowns, 12 interceptions. I don't know what happened to Wentz, but he is kind of, he's not the same as he was a couple years ago. Obviously, the injuries could be a factor and all that, but he's having a tough time this year. He almost uh, excels when there's chaos around him a little bit more. What do you make of this matchup with the Eagles? Uh, Miles Sanders, you know, they have him, but they seem to want to throw the ball like 86% of the time or something like that, I saw. So they really want to throw it a lot. I think that teams probably facing the Browns feel like they're better off throwing against the Browns. Uh, At least that's the way I would look at it if I approach the Browns, Uh, you know, self-scout thyself style. Uh, So (laughs) what, what do you think about this Eagles matchup on Sunday? So I think it's one of those it's – it's a complicated thing because no Browns fan can can analyze this game without talking about the Carson Wentz trade. And so the Eagles got their Super Bowl. And and once you get a Super Bowl, everything else is gravy. It's like, oh, no, Carson Wentz yeah. helped lead him during a regular season that led to a Super Bowl, and now he stinks. It's like, well, you know, I keep saying it. It's like they're having that conversation with a ring on their finger. So it's a much yes. easier way to have that conversation. Well said. The, the smart film people that I follow on Twitter, I've seen people suggest that – the guy thing with Carson Wentz is not that is that 2017, the Super Bowl year, is the outlier. That like that's it's like what happened to Carson Wentz. It's actually no, this is Carson Wentz. What happened was, the year he was awesome? That was crazy. Yeah. So He's I playing over think, his head. You know, Frank Reich is a play caller, not having him. Sometimes that really makes a difference. So there are things that are in play there, but I but I think. The thing you're talking about, the Eagles don't know, and I have a friend who's the the columnist for the Philadelphia Inquirer, so I follow him on Twitter and read his stuff. They don't know who they are. That's what Eagles fans are saying about the Eagles right now. And that is a gratifying thing and a gratifying reminder for Browns fans. Whatever the the shortcomings or the flaws or the good and the bad of the Browns or whatever, they know who they are. Have an identity. First time in a long time. So the Eagles are grasping for that. I think Doug Peterson gets a little pass happy at times for sure. Yeah. Which is, I love pass happy. If I were a coach, I'd also be pass happy, which is why I would be yeah. a terrible coach. Among the many <laughs> reasons I'd be a terrible coach. But I, fa- passing's fun, man. Kevin Stefanski's trying to win. He's not trying to have fun. He's trying to win. So guess what? Hunt and Chubb, yeah. that's how we win. So, um, I, you know, for every question you have about Baker is the questions that Eagles fans have about Carson Wentz right now. I think they're both inconsistent. I think you both don't, you don't snap to snap quarter to quarter, half to half, game to game. You don't know exactly what you're getting, but I think Carson Wentz seems seems erratic and a little frantic right now. And that's what that's what everybody with the Browns wants to pull Baker out of. Everybody hates it when Baker has happy feet. Everybody hates it when Baker bails out of clean pockets, right? And that's the Stefanski influence. You try to just settle him down a little bit. And here we are. This is year five for Carson Wentz. And he plays sometimes like more like a rookie. Like, hey, what's going on? Oh, my gosh. 
And it's like, what, what happened to you? And it's like, man, I, I don't know if anything happened to him. I think he hit like a really good stretch early in his career, but actually maybe, and again, he's saying it with the ring on actually, maybe this is who he is. And then the Eagles are going to have to figure out what that means for their future. Very interesting. Uh, uh, I hadn't thought of it that way, but yeah, that's, that's definitely a different way to look at it. Um, the line on this game from our uh, sponsor, uh, Sports Bet Online here, bet on, betting online, uh, dot ag. It's uh, what three, three and a half right now. I told everybody to uh, bet their mortgage on the Browns last week. I said it was the best bet <laughs> in the NFL. So Nick Chubb. And so can my advice on the Browns be don't bet on the Browns because between the Nick Chubb running out of bounds and the Cody Parkey missing the extra point after the miracle game winning touchdown pass against the Bengals. I mean, somebody, and then Joe Burrow had a miracle cover earlier against the Browns. Like no, nobody, this is not, don't bet on them. Just let, just enjoy them trying to win. But this feels like to me, if you are forced to bet on the Browns, I think the Browns are are a somewhat significantly better team than the Eagles. And I still think it's possible. And I think it's even true of Browns fans who love this team and who watch every snap. I think it's possible that we still don't realize how good they are because I think there is a little bit of stuff stuck in people's heads. They beat bad teams. They can't beat good teams. I think they are getting better. I think we haven't seen it because of the weather. I think the bye week helped them. I think we forgot how important Wyatt Teller and Nick Chubb were. I think we see some personnel changes in the defense that are, I think every part of this team is trending up. So I'm trying to think, and I don't even know what it would be. What is the actual game where the Browns just went out and just looked awesome from first snap to last snap and just destroyed somebody. I'm not, I don't know that. The, I mean, the Dwayne Haskins kept throwing it to the Browns in the Washington games. So like, yeah. that wasn't it. Yeah. You know, they scored against Dallas, but they couldn't stop anybody. Odell had to bail right. them out at the end, you know, Joe, like that's out there. And so I think that's going to happen at some point. I don't know when it's going to be, but this is a team that can beat a bad team. 35 to 13. I really think that that's the kind of team they have that in them and they just haven't shown it yet. So if you got some extra money that you don't mind losing, I, I would, <laughs> I would bet on the Browns. Yeah. Yeah. The three point spread there. Uh, I mean, I, I don't get this, you know, Vegas gives the team three points for home field advantage, but with, with coronavirus, I don't know how they judge that with no fan, half the fans in the stands or a quarter fans in the stands. If they still give them three points, for being at home, so at a neutral site, would it be a pick 'em? I don't know. It's weird. I throw all that out the window. But either way, I expect the Browns to win. I expect them to run the ball heavily. I, obviously, I think they'll be able to pass the ball more. I think the weather's going to be better. I want to see what their pass game looks like. I'm very intrigued to see what they look like post by no weather. I, I think that'll be very, very telling for, for where we go from here. And I think you're right. I think their best football could very likely be ahead of them. Uh, I think they could blow some teams out. I would like to see that. Boy, would that be nice uh, just to just to show us that a little. 
And, and I think they they got to win one. I, I don't think they have to, but if they want to be taken seriously as the, if they enter the playoffs like they can beat a team uh, or, or advance around, you've got to beat Baltimore, Tennessee, or Pittsburgh down the stretch. And and I think that they, they are in reality closer to those teams than than maybe what the scoreboard or everybody else outside of Cleveland thinks at this point. But that's where I'm at with the Browns. Doug, you have been fantastic, uh, an amazing guest, as always. Did you get my T-shirt? I did get your T-shirt. I did, yes. Thank you for that. Look, yes. You, I, you follow through on that stuff. Sports sports people don't follow through yeah. on anything. You're I want to make like, sure you got it. Usually it's like I'll send you a T-shirt, and like six years later, it's like, where's my T-shirt? So yeah. you, are, you are legit, Brad. Yeah, well, Doug uh, LaMaurice, you are a uh, fantastic gentleman and scholar, fantastic guest. Always uh, enjoy talking Browns with you as uh, uh, we can uh, kind of go deep here talking about the Browns. Good stuff. Doug is sports columnist at Cleveland.com. Make sure you listen to uh, all of you Buckeye fans. Listen to Buckeye Talk podcast you can follow that on twitter at buckeye talk pod and uh listen to it where all popular podcasts are found uh he is also the president of the football writers association of america which is a glowing honor and congratulations to him for that uh any parting words for us today doug no i just i just this is it i just like to remind people that this is what you went through all the pain for and i think they're a playoff team i think they're headed in the right direction and uh, there's a lot of stuff in the world that stinks right now, but your football team's competitive. So have a good Sunday. I agree. Well said. Thank you so much, Doug. We'll talk soon. Appreciate you. Doug Maurice, our guest tonight on All Eyes on Cleveland. He is fantastic, a gentleman, a scholar, fantastic guest as always. He, you know, he will go as deep with you on the Browns as anybody. Uh, he's an awesome guest, awesome guy too. Uh, one of my favorites always to have on the show. So I uh, wanted to do a couple things here before we get off the air here tonight. Uh, so I, as I mentioned before, uh, and you are listening to All Eyes on Cleveland Live, that we uh, do our I write over at USA Today Sports Media Group's The Browns Wire, um, and uh, there, uh, my boss is the one and only Jeff Risden. Jeff Risden wrote an article today, uh, as even Doug mentioned this, the Carson Wentz. Trade. It's inevitable that you talk about it when uh, the Browns play the Eagles. So, guess what? 
this breakdown is remarkable that he did. He took us through every single avenue, tentacle, branch off of this trade that's possible here. You see uh, the brownswire.com, uh, uh, and uh, here is uh, everything going on with the injury report. Kendall Lamb in line maybe to start at right tackle against the Eagles, but you can always go check out uh, the work that uh, Jeff does over here and any of my columns over at uh, the uh, Browns Wire. Dot com as where's where's mine it's in there somewhere about the defense anyways get out of here video and then so we're going to take a quick look at this because this is fantastic stuff tracking the crazy end results of the browns and eagles carson wentz trade uh what is happening here okay here we are all right so let's uh let's take a look here what, what are we doing uh here we go all right so if you guys can all see that there uh we're gonna go through this here because it is pretty pretty amazing stuff okay so uh this is four years later uh that uh, we are looking at now since the Wentz trade uh instead of selecting North Dakota State quarterback the Browns traded the pick to the Eagles the full initial trade the Browns sent the two overall pick in the 2016 NFL draft along with the 139th pick in the 2017 draft to the Eagles for number 877 100 picks in that current draft, the 2016 draft, and the number 12 pick in the 2017 draft, and a second round pick in 2018. Wentz has been a roller coaster for the Eagles, blah, 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 blah. All right, uh, they got a Super Bowl, but Nick Foles replaced him in the playoff run. Uh, outside of that magical season, Wentz has a losing record of 24-27 and one as a starter. He currently leads the NFL in interceptions and times being sacked. Uh, Wentz's completion percentage and yards per attempt have both steadily fallen from his Pro Bowl campaign in 2017. His QB rating of 73.1 in 2020 ranks 31st, several spots uh, below uh, Cleveland's Baker Mayfield at 90.0. Uh, the Browns' end of the trade uh, evolved after several tentacles. The initial deals resulted in this uh, menagerie, menagerie of uh, menagerie of moves. Pardon me. Uh, Cleveland traded number eight, 176, to uh, Tennessee. For the 1576 uh, and the second round pick in 2017, they also traded pick 77 and 141 to the Panthers for 30 for pick 93. Pardon me, 129 and 168. They then traded also pick 100 to Oakland for pick 114 and 154. So after all that is hashed out. Let's uh, go through these names here. So we let's, let's see what we've got. This is the initial takeaway uh, here for the Browns, uh, as you can see here. So uh, with the 15th pick that they got back from Tennessee, they went ahead and selected Corey Coleman.
Yes, that's correct. Uh, that's how that went down. Uh, and then uh, the next person they got was Sean Coleman, uh, offensive tackle, Auburn. Next, uh, this is still branching out from the Wentz trade. Number 93, they took Cody Kessler. Cody Kessler. With the uh, 114th pick, they took Ricardo Lewis. Ricardo Lewis uh, drafted in the same draft with Hollywood Higgins, who still hanging around with the Browns doing a good job, but Ricardo Lewis, not so much. Then, uh, they proceeded to take Derek Kindred. I had high hopes for Derek Kindred. Liked him as a safety. Thought he was a thumper from TCU. I was wrong. Uh, Jordan Payton, wide receiver, UCLA, another one of those three wide receivers taken, uh, which, you know, Hollywood's still here. Ricardo Lewis, no. Uh, And uh, what about Jordan Payton? Not so much. Uh, Spencer Drango, offensive guard, Baylor. Uh, is Drango, uh, is he, what's going on, going on? Psych. Gotcha on that one. I thought I was going to say something good. Anyways, there's more to this. It keeps going on. In 2017, the Browns traded the first round pick from the Eagles in the deal to... They traded the number 12 pick to Houston for the number 25 and a uh, 2018 first-round pick. Houston used that pick to select Deshaun Watson. They used that pick to pick Deshaun. Oh, very good. Well done there. Despite Houston's 2-7 and seven record and last weekend's loss, the Cleveland Texans are still elated with that deal. The Browns got these picks from the Wentz to Watson deal. Jabril Peppers, safety Michigan, and Deshaun Kaiser. Deshaun Kaiser... Uh, didn't turn out to what we thought he was going to be. Jabril Peppers actually playing some pretty good football in the uh, for the uh, Giants um, as he went over in the Odell Beckham Jr. trade. Uh, the final pick, Philadelphia's... Uh, oh, wait, wait, I skipped a part here. Cleveland used the 2018 first-round pick acquired from Houston... With the strand of the Wentz trade on cornerback Denzel Ward with the number four overall pick. Finally, 
a positive in this whole thing. Uh, the final pick, Philadelphia's 2018 second rounder, was of course traded uh, by the Browns during the draft weekend. The Browns dealt the number 64 overall pick in that 2018 draft to the Colts, who selected defensive end Tyquan Lewis. The Browns picked up Miami defensive end Chad Thomas with the number 67 pick. This is where it gets really complicated, says Jeff Risen, who did all of this research, incredible, unpacking the further trade tentacle. So there's still more. So it still branches out even further. From the initial trade, the Browns eventually traded Sean Coleman for a 2019 seventh-round pick to San Francisco. The Browns traded that pick and wide receiver Josh Gordon to the Patriots in 2019 for a fifth-round pick that Cleveland used on Oklahoma kicker Austin Seibert. Interesting. Austin Seibert was taken in this. Yeah, not so much for Austin Seibert after getting the hook uh, after game one this year. Cody Parkey has done a fine job in his replacement. Uh, The Browns also received the Colts' Sixth-round pick in that Chad Thomas deal. Cleveland packaged that pick uh, as a part of another trade during the 2018 draft weekend. Along with its own fourth-round pick, the Browns sent that acquired pick to the Patriots for a fourth-round pick. That pick became Florida wide receiver Antonio Callaway. Pretty remarkable uh, that at this point uh, we have gotten this far in this trade and a lot of buzzers, a lot of not goods coming out of this. Denzel Ward being the only positive so far. Back to the 2017 trade of Wentz, uh, Bounty to Houston. The Browns traded Jabril Peppers to the Giants as primary part of the package to acquire wide receiver Odell Beckham Jr., the Giants also got two other picks for the from the Browns in the deal, uh, which they selected defensive tackle Dexter Lawrence and defensive end O'Shane Eximenes. Uh The Browns also dealt the net of the first Eagles pick in 2017, Corey Coleman. This one uh, gets wacky, says Jeff. The Browns shipped Coleman to Buffalo in 2018 for a 2020 seventh-round pick. That pick got traded, then traded again, and eventually wound up being part of another trade that landed 2020 third-round pick Jordan Elliott into Cleveland. So finally, in the end, uh, the 2020 Browns have Denzel Ward, Odell Beckham Jr., and Jordan Elliott to perfectly or to effectively, pardon me, show for the Wentz deal via a convoluted path with many twists and turns. Excellent article by a good friend of mine, Jeff Risden, and the managing editor at Browns Wire. But incredible how far that branches all the way to this season. And uh, despite all of those buzzers and the meme of uh, A.A. Ron and and Key and Peele, you know, those silly-ass names, all those silly-ass names, 
all those buzzers and wrong answers, and they still somehow come away with Denzel Ward, Odell Beckham Jr., and Jordan Elliott for what effectively would have been Wentz. Now, I don't even know where you would go with how that stands at this point, but uh, pretty incredible stuff there as as uh, you follow that all the way through. I thought worth laying out and then... Two last things here tonight on All Eyes on Cleveland Live. Once again, big thanks to Doug Lay Maurice. You can listen to the podcast, Sound Only, where all popular podcasts are found. You can hit the subscribe button below. Uh, hit the notification bell uh, so it reminds you every time we're coming on the air. We will always have great guests like Doug, like Nick Shook yesterday. I hope you guys have enjoyed the show as we are making this transition to live. Uh, Mikey doing a great job tonight on the ones and the twos over uh, there uh, off screen. Okay, so uh, finally here, scoreboard watching. Scoreboard watching as the Browns are part of this playoff push. Let's take a quick look at the teams that they need to be worried about this weekend. Pittsburgh at Jacksonville. Pittsburgh kind of out of reach at this point, but interesting to see how they play Jacksonville. Jacksonville's kind of been a pain or thorn in, in a lot of asses lately. Tennessee at Baltimore. What a game. Going to love to see who prevails in that game as two six and 3 teams facing each other. So that six-team, you know, broad 6-3 and three teams, that, that's going to be gone. Team there. Six and three, placing another six and three team. Tennessee, Baltimore, both on the Browns schedule, facing each other. One p.m. Baltimore is a six and a half point favorite at home. Interesting. Uh, and then you've got Miami going to Denver. They are three and a half point favorites. Uh, Miami is a team. I'm not sure if they're for real. We know that Tua is playing well right now. How long will that last? I don't know. Is it good enough for them to ride to the playoffs? I don't know. Uh, I'm not a believer yet. I'm not so much scared of the Dolphins. Their last four games present some some potential losses in them. Uh, so I, I'm hoping that the Browns won't have to worry about the Dolphins eventually. Maybe they'll come back to earth a little bit. I think they're maybe a year too early, but still they're at 6-3 and three now and playing good football. They go to Denver uh, on Sunday at 4.05. Green Bay against Indianapolis. I like that matchup. Let's uh, go Packers. Hopefully take out the Colts, knock them uh, down a peg, and then a uh, very, very good matchup on Sunday night football, football night in America, uh, my usually my favorite uh, game besides the Browns game to sit down and watch of the week uh, just because of the broadcast they do is fantastic, and it, it's good stuff uh, there uh, that NBC pulls together that night, breaking down the whole day of games and whatnot. Kansas City at Las Vegas. Vegas beat them last time. I can't imagine it happening again. Mahomes has got to come come back and, and, and course correct there with that one. Uh, all Eyes on Cleveland. Uh, you can go to alleyesoncleveland.com uh, to uh, follow us 
subscribe, leave a review. If you love what we're doing, that's great. Uh, we love it. If you dislike what we're doing, you want to see something different, if you think I'm ugly and stupid, you can tell me on there. That's fine. We just want to get better. Me and Mikey just want to get better for you, the listener. Uh, finally, uh, let's wanted to show this to you here. Uh, is it found this interesting. So Coastal Carolina is good at college football this year. Well, they're they're supposedly good. Uh, and then, you know, uh, that uh, interesting, you know, that they only they don't play anybody basically they they don't play anybody they play Baton Rouge and and whoever else out there but they uh, had an interesting uh, post here that I wanted to show everybody this is from Coastal Carolina's uh, I was shocked when I saw this this is from Coastal Carolina's um, locker room. Mikey, can we get that up? Is that possible to bring that up? That a boy. All right. So this is a Twitter feed here. Eric Edholm, Coast to Carolina is the best team in America. Well, you know that's not so much. But here, here we go with uh, this occurred. This was happening in their locker room. Five hundred and seventy point nine thousand views. Enjoy. Incredible. Absolutely <laughs> incredible. That's the locker room at Coastal Carolina, and I, I just had to show that because I find it so amusing. The chicken, I guess, is the mascot of the opposing team, but absolutely insane. Did you see the mullets on some of those guys? Incredible. And then the uh, big-time uh, drop the hammer uh, from... Uh, the uh, on top that had to hurt. I mean, that guy's <laughs> chicken costume was nothing at all. It was just like a, like a. I mean, no padding at all. And uh, I don't know. I don't know how they did that, but makes me smile, makes me laugh, makes me giggle every single time. I hope you enjoyed uh, that as well. 
Big thanks to Doug Lay Maurice for um, coming on the show tonight. Uh, and, uh, it, you know, we got a good Thursday night game tonight. Seattle, Arizona. Uh, get to Thrive Fantasy app. Get your prop bets in. Uh, use the promo code EYES, E-Y-E-Z. And when you make your first deposit, if you want to try it out tonight, you'll get... Uh, a hundred percent match up and twenty up to twenty five dollars. So twenty five dollar deposit, they'll give you another twenty five dollars. You can use that to play uh, on Thrive Fantasy app, where you don't have to worry about uh, pros entering one hundred and fifty different iterations of lineups from optimizers. It's prop bets. You pick, you know, they give you fifteen prop bets. I think tonight they'll give you fifteen, and you pick ten that you like. Uh, the longer the odds they are, the more points you can get. The highest points gets the most amount of cash at the end. But if you're winning those bets, generally you're going to cash and, and make some money. And that's a lot of fun. Daily Fantasy Sports can be quite enjoyable. Uh, and especially with Thrive Fantasy app. Uh, make sure that you download that on the uh, Play Store uh, or uh, on the App Store. Uh, or by visiting www.thrivefantasy.com. Sign up and prop up today. All eyes on Cleveland. It's a wrap. Thank you, Doug Lay Maurice. Thank you, Mikey, on the ones and twos. I uh, hope you enjoyed this edition of the show. Keep coming back. Hit the subscribe and like button on your way out. I'm Brad Ward. We are out.